We are continuing in a series that we started last week called Extreme Makeover Spiritual Edition. And the idea is that uh, we want to start off our new year. Instead of making a resolution, uh, we want to start a revolution where we as Christ followers are experiencing true spiritual transformation, being transformed into the people that God called us to be, equipped us to be, and created us to be. Uh, And I I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I've said this before, and you can Google it yourself. But just within our area, in and around the city of Pittsburgh, there are lots of local congregations, I mean, ours included, that are decreasing in number and size uh, around the state and around the nation. Um, Lots of local congregations are closing their doors every single day. Globally, though, a lot of churches are actually sending missionaries to the United States. They're saying, hey, something's not quite right over there. Uh, For a nation that says you have X number of Christ followers where everyone's claiming, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they're looking and they're not seeing actions that come out of the United States that are what you would expect to see from people who say we're Christ followers. They're seeing actions that are in conflict with the way that Christ says he wants his people uh, to act. And, and, and here's what happens. This is you know probably true all over the place is that on Sunday morning, people get up and they, and they go to church and they praise God and you know, they have a great celebration, and they sing songs, and they hear a message, and they leave inspired. But then they go back um, go back home, and they argue with their spouse. They yell at their kids. They kick the dog, toss the cat, pour the water out of the fishbowl, and laugh at the fish while he drowns. All kind of stuff. But then they go to their family members and friends and co-workers who they have been cursing out all week long and say, come to church with me. And of course, they're like, heck no. Because they don't want to go to a place that's going to, you know, hopefully, uh, in their mind, they're thinking, I don't want to end up like that. They probably have, you know, their own issues that they're dealing with. But they don't see anything that says, hey, the life that you're living and the way that you're living it, I want that. And if you're getting that from your God and from gathering with the people of God, then maybe I'll try it out. They're not seeing that anymore. So there's no reason for people to say, well, sure, uh, I want to go check that out. And God's desire is not that we just be people who say one thing and talk about a loving God, but that we're a people who our actions and our lives reflect the love of God. And he wants us, and he says all throughout his word, and we've been talking about this, the way that we do that is not that we all of a sudden we flip a switch and we become like this, you know, great, perfect being in God's sight. When we, If you step across the line of faith and you become a Christ follower, he puts his Holy Spirit in us. And at that instant, at that moment, we are perfect in God's sight. We're sinless. He's, he's, he's removed our sins. And we're perfect. His Holy Spirit is in us. And then if you're like me, you say something stupid and mess it all up. Or you do something crazy and mess it all up. But God's desire is that not that we walk around with 
a shoulder full of burdens of like, oh my gosh, I'm go- I can't do this right. I can't say the right thing. I can't do the right thing that makes God happy. His desire, and, th- and this is why he puts his spirit in us, his desire that with his spirit in us, that as we go through life, day by day, step by step, we're being transformed more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But that only happens when we allow his Holy Spirit to work in us. That's why we've been walking through this series. Now, I'm going to walk you through um, a passage of scripture. Uh, it's in the book of Second uh, Kings. And if you don't know where that is, Second Kings, if you go to the middle of your Bible to like Proverbs and then start going back left, uh, you'll hit it. Now, here's the thing. I want you to open up because I want you to read through this. I want you to mark it. I want you to follow it because this is probably one of those passages that most people overlook. Right, Second Kings uh, chapter 5. But here's the thing. I'm going to put, uh, normally when we walk through a whole passage of Scripture, I want to read through it. I want us all to read through it together. But I'm going to put the passages up here uh, because I want you to see some important stuff. I want you to actually, like, read through it. But I want you to follow along in your Bible and mark it because here's the reality. Number one, uh, what we're about to read is, is not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. Number two even though most people will try to tell you, well, that's just not true, there is a nation, okay, the nation of Israel, that looks at what we're about to read and says, this is a part of our history. You guys know the, the, like the ride of Paul Revere, where he went, the British are coming, the British are coming, and all that stuff, and people say that's, just, you know, yeah, he rode and he went riding all around all night long, yelling about that, and some people say that's ridiculous, but that's a part of our history. And you guys um, are familiar with parts of our history that um, if you look at, uh, not necessarily our history, but history, the Holocaust and, and the killing and murdering of a whole bunch of Jews. There's not too many people today left that were around alive when that took place. And there is already in some nations a movement to say that never happened. They're just saying that never happened. And there's not a lot of people around to say, yeah, it did. But the nation of Israel would say, this is our history. It was a tragic part of our history. This is our history in the same way what we're about to read is a factual, historical event. So in 2 Kings chapter 5, it says this. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, you need to understand, okay, um, Aram was a, 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 a nation. Uh, today, I think it's somewhere in the, the Syria, Mesopotamia type region. Uh, but they had a love-hate relationship with Israel. Sometimes they were enemies, and they fought against one another. Sometimes they were friends. Sometimes they were friends with benefits, but probably not like you're thinking right now. But friends where their goal was we have, we just, we're coming together, but only for this one, maybe it is kind of like you're thinking, one common purpose. Uh, But not like that, but one common purpose, they were frenemies, okay? Friends who were enemies, and we'll come together uh, to achieve this one uh, common goal. And they were kind of like a lot of people in the church are today, right? We know that there's this, you know, you have friends, you have family members. I know you guys do this church thing. I know that you guys think that there's this God thing. And sometimes they'll listen to you talk about it. So 
Sometimes they'll hear you tell about, you know, here's what God said. You know, did on Sunday, or here's what God did Sunday night, or or here's what the Bible says. Other times, they just want they don't want to hear anything you have to say about God or the Bible. Just don't talk to them about it. So, Aram had this love hate relationship. But here's the thing: even though Naaman, who was commander of the army, and Aram, the whole nation. Um, and the king of Aram, they didn't serve God. They didn't acknowledge God as their God. But God still used them for his purposes. Because it says, uh, through him, meaning Naaman, the, the commander, the Lord gave victory to Aram. Now, again, they had a love-hate relationship. It wasn't like they were like, God-worshipping, serving people, but God still used them for his purposes, all right? Now, drop down to the next verse. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, this is the Holy Spirit working inside of someone. Because this is a girl who had been kidnapped from her home. Now, girl, it doesn't say her age, but a young girl. So that could be anywhere from 12 or 13 to probably lower 20-ish, like 21, 22 years of age. Kidnapped from her home, literally taken to a foreign nation, being a servant in the household, and she says to her mistress, I want to help heal your husband. This, this is like, uh, for those of you that have that kind of, you have a physical workspace at work, it would be equivalent of your boss telling you, I'm going to demote you. I'm going to put you in the basement underneath the men's toilet in the bathroom. And then you saying, well, hey, I noticed that you have a bad back. And my uncle's a chiropractor. I'm going to send you to him, and I'm going to pay the bill. None of us would do that. But this is, this is how God allows, through his Holy Spirit, us to love people who are unlovable, to show the love of Christ to people who, who hate us and talk about us and do mean things to us. This is, this is like, this is, uh, I know there's like three gamers. Any gamers, you guys that play games? Okay. This is now the multi-level games. You guys, you guys, bear with me. The multiplayer games where you're playing with people literally around the world. You're not just playing with your neighbor. You're playing with someone from China. You're literally playing with someone from India, and you're also playing with someone from, God forbid, Ohio. But you're playing, and then there's the guy. There's always the guy, especially when you're playing the shooting games. And I know we're in church, but the shooting games. And there's always the guy who takes three shots and then wants to change his magazine. He's like, boom, 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 and changing his magazine. You can get another 30 out, and he's the guy who always causes your team to lose. But it would be the equivalent of saying to that guy, you suck, but I want to buy you a whole new game. I want to pay for it, even though you're like the bane of my existence. And you guys may not understand that, but all the gamers would say amen. But it would be the equivalent of doing that. And you're not going to do that naturally. It's not the natural response. 
But with the Holy Spirit of God working in you, that's how you're able to look at the worst situation you could imagine and say, I want to show you love. All right? Now, uh, here's the thing going on in verse... Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel said, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of leprosy. Excuse me. Now, this is what we've got to understand. He took with him... Literally, 200, if this were today, 221000 almost $222,000 in silver. He took with him $2,742,000 in gold and 10 suits from Macy's because he was expecting to get healed. The king of Aram sent him and wrote a letter to the other king who, you know, frenemies and said, hey, do this. Because they were expecting that some supernatural thing would occur. Now, uh, if you look in your Bible and in most Bibles, it will say that the leprosy that he had may or may not have been the leprosy that makes your hands fall off. Uh, The same word was applied to various skin conditions um, of all types. It would be the equivalent, and we hate this word when someone says cancer, it could be Immediately, we know it's a, it's a death sentence, or it could be we know it's going to be a long journey, but you're going to get through this. It's curable. And it just depends on what type. In the same way, that's the way they looked at leprosy. But here's the thing. The guy who didn't serve God and his boss were expecting that God would heal them. And here's what happens in the church today. When we go to work or when we go home, or when we go wherever we go, and we're complaining about our finances, we're complaining about our job, we're complaining about our spouses, I mean, just be real, this is what we're saying. We're saying, I don't have a God that's big enough to handle my financial problems, my medical problems, or my marital problems, or my relational problems. That's what other people hear. So if I'm sitting in a restaurant and all I hear you doing is griping about how bad your job is, how low you're paid, how you hate your boss, how you wish you would get run over by a truck, yada, 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 and then the waitress comes up and you say and you write out a tip and say, hey, you should come to our church sometime. In my mind, I'm thinking, why in the world 